So your global vision then, Tony, I mean, this is spread across the African continent. It's spread into Asia and you've had some involvement there. And we'll get to the Australian context in a moment. Your global vision, you've said, again, this decade, because we all know this decade is crucial. That's sort of the benchmark you've bitten off and said you'd love to see this in 100 countries by then. Tell me a bit more about it and then, yes, how the partnership has formed around the Australian effort. I guess getting back to that uh, Mindscape change, I'd like to see broad-scale land literacy, people who can read the land and understand it and work with it instead of fighting it and hitting it on the head and then wondering why they're going broke or the crops failed or or whatever. So this land care ethic um, versus the current kind of extraction model. Um, When you read the world resources literature, they say there's about 2 billion hectares of degraded land out there. And there was a report, I think, last year from a group in in Switzerland, uh, ETH Zurich is a research centre, and they figured that at least half of that, nearly a billion hectares, has potential for reforestation. So there's that. Then, according to some papers, there's about 2 billion hectares of existing farmland and grazing land that could be improved through agroforestry or or this natural regeneration, so managed trees on this productive landscape to enhance it. So that's what I would love to see. And uh, through World Vision, through the Global Evergreening Alliance and all the partners in that alliance, some small, some large, making their contributions, I, I, I just see this groundswell of interest and action and an increased awareness on the one hand goodness we've only got 10 years to get our act together and on the other hand you know if we do these things it's not that difficult Mm. a few sprouting stems planting the odd tree and adjusting the way we farm it it's not that difficult and you think there's tens of millions of small holder and, and large landholders out there I read just the other day, all revolutions start from the bottom. <laughs> so that's that's my vision, that the people at the cutting edge, at the coalface, they're the ones that pick up the fight and turn things around. And so much of this is relevant to Australia, as you've pointed out. Talk to us a bit about how the Global Evergreening Alliance came to launch the Restore Australia project. And I guess the particular part that you slash the farmer managed natural regeneration method will have in that. It has its... Genesis in 2012. It was first formalised at that beating famine conference that I mentioned with the World Agroforestry Centre. And Dennis Garrity for a number of years had been chairing what was then the Evergreen Agriculture Alliance. So it got more formalised in 2012 and it made some good progress but never really took off. Just last year, it was registered in Australia as an NGO, non-government organisation, in its own right. And so they have office space. World Vision's a founding member, and we, we were able to provide office space. And, you know, I, I don't think at that time uh, there was a thought that we would be at working in Australia anytime soon. It, it wasn't excluded, but the focus was in developing countries. That's where our history was and where there's so much need. Uh, the bushfires changed everything. 
And the Alliance's main donor, uh, ARC2030, took a particular interest in Australia. The donor asked, in, in light of the devastating bushfires, can't we do something to restore the landscape in Australia and work with the existing organisations already on the ground? And so very quickly, um, they pulled together interested parties to see who, who wanted to take part in this. And um, they've, they've pretty much finalised the first draft of the proposal and uh, looking to launch the actual activities very soon. World, Vision, World Vision's activities within Australia are mostly with the, the First Nations peoples, the Indigenous communities, and we're taking a leading role in this to coordinate things and to play an advocacy role as well. But in, in terms of what happens in the landscape, working through communities, um, it, it's not clear, clear yet exactly which activities will take place. If farmer managed natural regeneration has a role, it will probably be to enhance uh, the yield and, and um, uh, the spread of, of uh, traditional food plants and medicinal plants. In, in terms of the broader agriculture that we practice here, the, the difficulty with FMNR is it's very labour intensive and, and we have high labour costs. And um, uh, what, what products could you sell from it? So firewood doesn't have a high re return. So there, there's a question mark there. The principles certainly apply. You know, coppicing is, is an ancient practice. The principles are there, but whether or how it's applied economically is a big question mark for me. I, I guess in addition, I, I'd just like to say that I, I see that this isn't the silver bullet. It's, it's one of a number of activities we, we can apply. And in, in the Australian context, uh, permacultural approaches, um, natural sequence farming, agroforestry, conservation agriculture. So you've, you've got this whole toolbox and, and you look at the landscape and, and the types of production systems there, holistic grazing management, which ones apply in this particular context? I did love it when I noticed that in your work, you will often talk about it as turning enemies into friends, enemies of trees and nature into friends of nature and ditto with people. Can you tell me a bit about the importance of that mindset in processes like this? Yeah. You know, I've read references in Australia where the early settlers were civilising the bush and, and taming it and, and turning it into productive land. So there's this whole ethic that it's us against nature and you either fight it or you go hungry. And, you know, it's a jungle out there. We've got to kill the wild animals and so on. And where, where this idea of turning enemies into friends came from, I was in Tanzania a few years ago and uh, a bishop, Bishop Simon Chawonga, had worked with the community and they're getting really excited about the benefits from restoring the tree cover. And one of his farmers took me to his plot and one of the original trees was actually just a stump on the edge of the farm. He took me to it and it actually had a bowl-shaped top because every year he'd heap wood on top of it to try and burn it. <laughs> and he said, he said, this tree used to be my enemy and I tried year after year to destroy it. 
And then I learned about FMNR and I re realized it's my friend and I feel so ashamed. Wow. And, you know, it turned out to be a rare and highly valued wild fruit tree. But there was this mindset that a good farmer is a clean farmer and he was just com conforming to the social construct that farmers clear the land. That's what we do. And to do anything else would have... Uh, would have earned you a lot of ridicule, lazy farmer, a lot of strife, and it's just not worth the hassle. Even if you were one of the uh, visionaries that saw, no, no, these things are good, I need to leave them, you wouldn't do it because it costs you dearly at the local pub <laughs> equivalent. So that's where it came from. And it, what I find, nature is so abundant. You know, we've tried to conform it, we've tried to industrialise it, we thought that with the right inputs and, and the right methods, we can make it so super abundantly productive. We're just working our way into a hole economically and, and environmentally. And some of the, um, you know, the multi-stacking, the polycultures and where you've got animals following the crop and, and so many different layers are just so highly productive. And they help to keep the community together. There's employment there. There's different industries that spring out of that. And I gather your, your past, present, future sort of workshop dynamic, you found that that helps bring people together too from across div social divides as you get to be developing your narrative and your vision into the future. Well, it's amazing and, and in some ways unexpected that it's, it does bring people together and um, it's democratising. So if you've got a shared natural resource base that you all depend on, if you don't talk about what, what are the bylaws that we're going to operate on, who can cut and where and when and where will we graze and how and what about the use of fire, if you don't agree on those things, it's, it's bedlam. And that's actually what's out there, bedlam. And, you know, I read a figure just the other day, 80 or 90% of the grasslands of Africa are burnt every year. Wow. So it's a downward trend. And I find that there are conflict situations where coming together with a shared vision of what things could be, it gives you an excuse and actually a need to work together instead of competing for diminishing resources. And you know, lovely, unbelievable stories from Rwanda and, and Ghana where in, in this community there was a woman who had lost her arm, her hand, and her child when the army came in and they, they told the one tribe to attack the other tribe that were neighbours. Mm. This lady ran into the swamp with her child and it was dark and the guy said, give over the baby, and she refused and he just swiped the, with the machete killed the baby and cut her hand off. She never knew who that was. Fast forward decades later and they're in the same tree group <laughs> and this guy's feeling really guilty and they've got a mechanism in Rwanda, a sort of truth and reconciliation type mechanism and the guy was the group leader and he says, if anybody needs to get something out in the open, now's the time and I'm going to start. And when he told the story, the lady was just devastated. It took her weeks to get over it. She had no idea. But she came to a point where she said, you know, we, we can't go back to the, the past. I have to forgive this guy. And if you go to that village today, 
she helps water his trees and he helps prune her trees and they eat in each other's house. And, and so having this shared vision of a better future brought them together. Jeez, if they can do it. it it's, it's staggering. Yeah. And so we, we see instances of reduced conflict. You have traditional conflict between herders and cultivators. Uh, instances of um, communities that were leaving, going to neighbouring countries, crossing the Mediterranean and so on. Now they've got a dignified living on their own land and a community that supports them. And that helps reduce the conflict predictably enough as well. You set up a virtuous spiral. You know, you mentioned truth and, was it truth and reconciliation? But that process, it's been called for by Indigenous people in Australia, right across the country through the Uluru Statement. And they're still calling for it three years on. I take from your story that it's an, it'll be an absolutely fundamental and necessary part of the regeneration in Australia. Is that your take on it? I, I think so. There's been so much dispossession. And, and then beyond that, the, the lack of belief in, in the Indigenous population's great skill as land managers and their connection to the land and their wisdom, the wisdom of the elders. It's not respected. So if your starting point is let's just throw some money at this thing and, and, and a little bit of wizardry and make stuff happen, you haven't dealt with the underlying injustices and you've, you've prevented yourself from benefiting from centuries of wisdom in land management. I'm, I'm just astounded. I'm pretty new to this, but reading Dark Emu and The Call of the Reed Warbler and the most recent one, a friend lent me Fire Country. I'm learning more and more about what fantastic land managers the First Nations people were. Yes, indeed, still are. You have to weave it into any program. Yes, and I think your story is such a vivid example or North Star for, even aside from functional benefits, almost the spiritual healing that can only come from taking a chance with these processes? Oh, definitely. I, I guess I come from a, a Christian perspective and, and it's astounded me, no matter what people's religious beliefs are, getting close to nature has reconnected them or connected them with this, the spiritual realm. They, they see God, they see the creator behind this. And so there's a coming together uh, the, the broken barriers between people and people, the broken barriers between people and nature. And in fire country, there's a lovely term there that the author uses, Stevenson, I think. Fix Stephenson, yeah. Stephenson, thank you. He talks about us being disconnected. So getting back to nature reconnects you and then a connection with the creator, whatever that means to you, an individual or group, yeah. Beautiful. Tony, to take us out, what would you say to people out there listening in terms of the hand they can play in this? Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess get informed. If you're a farmer, go and visit these people that are doing this crazy regenerative egg stuff. Are they really mad? Are, are they, have they really lost the plot? Talk to them. You, all, the, all the people that I've met in this area and the books that I've read, they're desperate to share what they've learned. They, they want you to come. So, so make that effort to go and, and, and listen to them. Put aside any prejudices that you might have 
and be open-minded to listen to them. For people in perhaps an urban setting, start with what you have. If, if it's just your garden or the local Friends of the Creek group, get involved. Do, do what you can. And I, I guess don't take on the world all at once. You know, people get overwhelmed and then drop it. If all you can do is turn off the light switch, <laughs> for goodness sakes, do that when you're not in the room. But then take it a step further. I'm a great believer in starting small and building up. So be informed, get engaged to the degree possible, and then baby steps building up. (laughs) That too is a consistent theme through many a podcast. Now, music, Tony, we're going to close on a piece of music that's been significant for you. And I, I should say, you might not be aware that the theme tune for the regeneration is actually an African tune. It's a 19 piece African ensemble with some Anglo Aussies thrown in, including my good mate on guitar that plays out of Melbourne called the Public Opinion Afro Orchestra in the tradition of Falakuti. But I'm curious, what's been the piece of music that has been significant for you that you could tell us a story about here? Yeah, I, I have difficulty pinpointing any one piece, but more and more I, I enjoy classical music, like Vivaldi's Four Seasons and pieces from Beethoven and others. Love it. And firstly, it amazes me. Where does this stuff come from? <laughs> yes. It's just amazing, the brilliance, the inspiration. And then I'm captivated, the, the power of music. It, it can make you happy. It can make you sad. It can give you courage to take on the impossible. And I often play these things quietly as I'm working on a proposal and I I just feel invigorated. And then I'm challenged. Um, I think we've all got music inside of us. And and my my bit of music is to inspire people to work with nature and stop, stop fighting it. Perhaps yours is in communication and connecting people. And, and then I think of people on the land. Their, their instruments are their own intellect and the land itself. And the music is their uh, creation of the productive landscape in harmony with nature. I, I think we've all got music in us. We just need to believe in ourselves and believe that we yeah, take the courage to, to do what's in your heart and really play it out and let the world see it and hear it. <laughs> Tony, that's a wonderful way to finish. Thank you very much. It does strike me that you're talking about the underground forest as it pertains to within us humans, the root systems that are still intact and we can tend them. Thanks very much, Tony. It's been a great pleasure having you on. Thank you. Likewise, I've so much enjoyed being with you. Thank you. That was Tony Renaudo, the award-winning Senior Climate Action Advisor for World Vision better known as the forest maker. For more on Tony, the FMNR method, the global vision, Restore Australia and more, see the links in our program details. The Regeneration is an independent production made ad-free and freely available for listening and re-syndication thanks to our generous supporters and partners. If you too value what you hear, and of course if you happen to be in a position to do so at this time, please consider joining them by visiting our website via the show notes, regeneration.com. And as ever, thanks for sharing, rating and reviewing the show. You're listening to The System by the Public Opinion Afro Orchestra. My name's Anthony James. Thanks for listening. So are you killing Let's ask them. Are we human or the system? Yeah.